Observations was a reading and writing group run with first and second year students on the MA in Visual Communication at the Royal College of Art and led by me, Hannah Ellis. You're about to hear pieces read by the group, written in response to local shops around White City. Co-op. Written and read by Penny Gent. A woman turned towards the broccoli speaks into her phone. You do tomorrow? You do tomorrow? You do tomorrow? But the two in tomorrow is all stretched out, all her emphasis in that one syllable. You do tomorrow? You do tomorrow? You do tomorrow? Just like that. You do tomorrow. I squeeze past between her and a display of Pringles and look at the courgettes. A woman with a pushchair is comparing reduced frozen pizzas whilst her son pokes at her leg. The boy is talking very quickly about something I didn't write down then and can't remember now. There are small baby sounds from the pushchair. You woke Margot, he says. I didn't woke Margot. You have done it, she says. Margot says nothing, but makes more less small now baby sounds. Two more women and two more buggies come up behind me and I move on from the courgettes and out of the way. I feel large and heavy and out of place in these narrow aisles that I need nothing from. You used to work in a co-op like this one, didn't you? Back home years before I met you. And we used to have one near Glengarth Terrace that always played ba very bad pop songs very loud. The worst argument we ever had was in a milk aisle there. A man reaches around me to take a cereal box off the shelf, and I feel larger and heavier and more in the way and out of place, so I take some cereal too and keep walking. And what was that argument even about? Something about booking a holiday and you'd got the dates wrong or I had and whose fault it was. Squeeze past you do tomorrow, woman, again, who's still on the phone and still by the broccoli. There's another woman with another small child, looking at the festive booze and festive chocolate and the festive displays in this very not-so-festive atmosphere. I queue up and pay for my cereal before I feel even larger and even heavier and even more in the way. Margot and mother and brother are two people ahead of me in the line, and the other women with buggies are just behind. They're laughing and joking in a language I don't speak, but they sound happy and joyous and full. I walk from the air-conditioned chill to the November chill wind, and I think of you 400 miles away. Maybe, possibly, also walking out of the same branded black lino floor, bag in hand, wind on your face. Londis, written and read by Bexley. In the dark, the first sign is the beaming white light, fractured through the silhouette of an incongruous palm tree, straight, stunted, yet stout. On the approach, shadows of bodies slide across one another, ships in the night. It's too jarring to register anything beyond the portal of bright light and what interrupts it. Inside the shell of grainy grey linoleum floors and pock-marked plaster ceiling tiles, artificial daylight flickers at a high frequency, 24 frames per second, an undetectable strobe light that turns life into slow, moving image. Three narrow aisles, stacked high, divide the room. Everyone is watching and listening, speaking in different tongues, lingering in corners, disappearing behind shelves. This could be anywhere. A collection of arbitrary ossified objects that cater to our most convenient needs. Cans of chickpeas, custard creams, honey, marigold gloves. The shelves are bathed in stale yellow, stacked deep. Londis and green. Gaudy pink iPad cases with diamantes wrapped in shiny thin plastic. Juice, tin beers, wine on the left. Under household cleaning, a yellow piece of cardboard that looks like floor tiles turns out to be a mousetrap, £1.99, scrawled on a tad piece of paper. At the counter, the owner has been watching me. He takes the mousetrap. Something gooey and sticky flashes when he unfolds the cardboard. 
you know how to use it, you open it and slam. Walking into the darkness, an empty playground, dystopian and dormant, vibrates under the harsh spotlight. Cost-cutter. Written by Rebecca Cottrell. Read by Hannah Ellis. The flowers outside have slightly wilted. The aisles are narrow and it's situated on a busy road. None of these things appear to discourage a busy flow of customers who enter and exit Cost-cutter. A middle-class group of professionals stand outside at half two on a weekday. They're smiling, talking and sipping coffee. They could stand anywhere or even sit on the picnic benches, but they choose to stand outside Coscutter. It's a place where people hang out. I enter the shop. I can't find a place to stand, though, without getting in the way of people since the aisles are so narrow. I'm standing and scribbling notes but so far nobody makes me feel like I'm acting suspiciously. Or perhaps they've noticed and don't want to give it away. I observe a couple browsing the chilled food section. The man announces that he wants a yellow sandwich. I'm confused for a minute before I see him take a cheese sandwich from the shelf. The dominant colour of the sandwich is indeed yellow. I'd entered the shop with the mission of buying one item. I picked the item I felt best reflected the shop. I browsed the cheap row of essential items called Usefuls and select some silver haircuts. 99p for two. It seems high, but consistent. On a closer look, some rust has formed on the metal. I find myself wondering how long the haircuts have been hanging there unsold. Two years? Longer? But the clips are there with the fluorescent yellow packaging, ready and waiting for the person who wants to clip their unruly hair or the woman who's mildly intrigued by the graphic design. Sainsbury's Local, written and read by Barbara Müller. A cube fills the field of vision, squares fill the cube's field, clear glass and yellow plastic, regularly alternating. Two glass squares abruptly slide to both sides, giving way to a smaller cube inside. A cube sectioned by shelves and aisles, regularly alternating. The aisles channel periodic movement, a chain of beads winding through the aisles, winding in regular intervals to the shelves to both sides. Winding in regular intervals to the shelves to both sides, winding in regular intervals to each other. Each bead consists of flesh. Some beads consist of flesh and plastic, a matte plastic and standardized shape rotationally generating a pattern. The aisles channel the bead's collective movement. A list channels each bead's movement, automatically directing each gaze and each grip. Attention is predetermined. The chain is mutely drifting over thick, soft plastic flooring, swallowing each noise, equalizing each movement. Overall lies an electronic buzzing of lamps and fridges. A buzzing mingled with a chemical addition, drying out air and ice. Both circulated by an air conditioning system, filling the cube. Two glass squares abruptly slide to both sides each time a bead is dropping out of the chain. Two glass squares abruptly slide to both sides each time a bead is merging the chain. Sainsbury's Local, 56 Blomfontein Road. London W1270H, 20th of November 2017, 1448 to 1456.
ibuprofen and Lindsprungli Lindor Orange. Lightness. Written by Anna Carolina, read by Laura Gordon. Wrinkly grocery lists written on the back of old faded receipts, heavy baskets. Armies of cans, bottles and boxes standing in never-ending rows. Bright lights, squeaky floors, slithering queues. Forgotten items, aching shoulders, crowded bus stops, bumpy roads. The echoes of your footsteps bouncing around in an empty street. Grocery shopping doesn't always feel like this, though. Every once in a while, I do it for fun. I enjoy eyeing all the colourful, exotic mountains of fruits and admiring the pastel-coloured logos printed on the packages of different superfoods. Witty catchphrases and cute fonts. Cups of lavender, herbal teas and dreamy evenings. These pink promises allow my imagination to build a new, healthier, happier me. Glowing skin, brighter eyes, lightness. On those days, my basket is never too heavy. I'm never in a rush and life tastes like organic cacao powder. I was hoping today would be one of those days. Sadly, this was not the case. Marks and Spencers, Westfield. I stand there alone, frozen like a statue in the midst of buzzing office workers and commuters. Smart leather shoes, shiny ballerinas, sleek haircuts, deadlines, desks, bright computer screens, the sound of typing. They are on a mission. I, on the other hand, clearly am not. I decide to zigzag my way towards the salad, a tight, apologetic smile on my face, mumbling faint sorrows as I hunch my back to make myself smaller. A handful of light brown grains and a few mango cubes are moving from one side to another inside the tiny, shiny plastic box. I'm not transported into a world of lightness and happiness. I feel numb. Defeated, I put the salad back on the shelf and move on to the drink section where I'm greeted by shades of deep reds, warm oranges, leafy greens. This is it, I tell myself, and hug a yellow bottle. I did it. Something is missing. Something about this bottle doesn't feel right. I turn the bottle on its side, looking for affirmation. There, preservatives. Juice from concentrate, ascorbic acid, mango puree. This bottle is like a box of sugar wearing a mask. I give up. In fact, chocolate is all I want now. A wave of relief sweeps over me and I step outside. The cool air wraps its arms around me and I feel light. Observations Written by Rachel Davey Read by Hannah Ellis I never get lost anymore. In London you just bounce from home to phone to destination. Time feels too precious to lose to fritter away wandering around aimlessly. People are everywhere but they feel like intangible beings too busy to engage with everyone on their own determined path. I wanted to talk to someone. I wanted my voice to go beyond myself, to feel like I was completely in the moment. That right there in that shop, I was as physical as the tinned goods, the fizzy drinks and the Turkish sweets. But I remained a ghost, floating down the aisles, a barely there person. I had to leave, I had to feel real, I had to feel human. So I walked in defiance of my own neurotic observations. With each step, I slowly became more aware of the world around me, taking in everything I possibly could to try and feel connected. Concentrating on the light, it began to feel like everything in the world was at maximum vibrancy. The passing scene was made up from colours you learn about in primary school. Sky blue, leaf green, sunshine yellow, all textbook. 
It was beautiful, and for a moment, I felt real. Of Mice and Dolmen, written and read by Tanaeus Deed. It was on a trip to the Polish food store Mleczko that I noticed the doorman. He quietly nodded as I entered the shop front, exuding an almost serene calmness in his tailored grey suit with matching cufflinks. You could barely hear him as he glided around the shop floor with the dedication of the world's best secret keeper, sticking out elegantly among the red fleeces and matching sun visors worn by the rest of the staff. He was different from the security guards I had known, mainly on clumsy exits from Tesco's with an inexplicably beeping coat on, or in raging encounters on nightclub steps at the end of messy nights out. Mleczko is one of the few public spaces in England where Polish strangers can gather to talk to each other in their first language, or buy the kinds of food they grew up eating, where neither their distinct accents or the xenophobic prejudices of certain neighbours would get in the way of day-to-day chit-chat. A place that, following Brexit and falling migration, is in danger of fading, declining customers and rising import prices. It struck me that the Mleczko warden might not only be guarding the property from shoplifting teenagers and rowdy troublemakers, but protecting something so sacred to a culture and identity that an attentive approach was crucial. My dad always hated the people on the door. All bouncers are bullies, he'd say, recording a harrowing story of a man he knew from our hometown who was hit so hard by one that his brain twisted in his skull and he lived the rest of his days in a vegetative state. Tales of undeserved demonization and justified hero worship were told through tell-all books of life on the door, but this 90s craze did nothing to sway his opinion. The tattooed letters on his knuckles used to read ACAB, but you could just as easily have swapped the C for coppers with B for bouncers. All bouncers are bastards. Strangely, he himself used to work on the door. He would talk of letting people get past, not making a fuss, going against the iron will of the other bouncer, who was a stickler for the rules. He let a whole group of girls in once, all except one, he'd say, and this one girl, who was maybe unlucky enough to look a little bit younger than the rest, gets singled out and they all have to leave so she's not on her own. Bastard. His run as a doorman would disappear as quickly as ACAB did once his hands were sent to the lasers after months of me and my kids' sisters asking again and again what the letters on Daddy's knuckles stood for. Since the 1800s, newspapers have described doorkeepers as the English chucker out. These chucker outs have followed innocent shoppers around Bacardi-clad aisles, kicked the wrong girl out of the club, tackled and restrained and pushed around a lifetime of Sheffield United fans, punched a man so hard in the head that he was never the same again. But there are those watchpersons who go against the stereotype of by-the-book brute. My best friend protects me from a swarm of hair-pulling drunk girls by holding up her hands, a whole street of people uniting to fend off the bailiffs from a neighbour's home. The bodyguards who work for the late Amy Winehouse, who would have taken a bullet for her, coming together to hold her ashes. Whilst it was clear that the sturdy figure standing guard by the red plastic carriers of the Mleczko Polish food store would have no trouble chucking anyone out, you got the feeling he would sooner talk to you than bounce you. That's the thing about people on the door. They don't just chuck people out, they let them in. The Review, written by Laura Copsey, read by Hannah Ellis. The skylights undulate. Smear greets me. Welcome to London Heritage. How can I help? I'm still looking up at the triangles of glass letting in the dark grey-blue light, having barely registered his question. Beautiful, he says. Like the British Museum. There are numerous magnets on sale in his shop. Two ninety-nine each or two for five pounds. A good deal, he suggests proudly. I don't disagree. 
Spitfires, Red Telephone Boxes, Tower Bridge, London Black Cabs, The London Eye, A British Bulldog, all lined up neatly, hung from a large-scale cork rendering of the Houses of Parliament with glowing plastic windows. Each magnet signifies an iconic aspect of what British culture has been reduced to. I silently decide which one I'm going to buy. Last summer, we visited the British Museum, and Samir is right. The geometric glowing roof is not dissimilar to that of Westfield. Crowds gathered and excitedly photographed what we could only assume must be the Rosetta Stone. We managed to peek over other people's shoulders to see it before claustrophobia forced us into the gift shop, where we were surprisingly engaged for around two hours looking at the array of Rosetta Stone merchandise. My favourite item was a cushion that looked like stone, which I imagine must have been the inspiration for Rachel Whiteread's cold and hard hot water bottles. Staring up at the Royal Albert Hall earlier over coffee, you told me that the Royal College of Art had been built in dark grey stone to match. Looking over now, the red brick of the Royal Albert Hall couldn't be more different from the cold grey concrete of the college. They cleaned it, you said, noticing my confusion. Pollution can be beautiful. How can the material history of London be anything other than a resin Big Ben on a keyring? Fragments of our enthusiastic, ill-informed and rambling conversation drifted back to me. And just like that, our non-gift shop gift shop was born. Charcoal, bread, wood from the London plain and beer cans would be our material. Bargain prices, high demand, roll up, roll up. If there is one thing artists can do, it's make money. I decide to seek advice. What's your best-selling item? I asked Samir. Magnets. Any magnet in particular? I wonder. Magnets? He replies. The ones with the flag? My ulterior motive to establish whether Brexit has influenced business is unhinged by his reply. Flags don't sell well, he tells me. Flags or magnets? I attempt to clarify. Flags. Magnets or flags? We get no further. An hour passes while I wander, distracted by whether I should buy a dress to my brother's wedding, whilst determined to make a list of t-shirt slogans, which I'm convinced will give me some kind of insight, which they don't. I vow to write a fresh list in five years for comparison. A kind of poem starts to emerge. We're just pretend monsters fighting pretend monsters, and it is true that I am addicted to sushi. I didn't buy the dress, but suddenly I felt I needed these t-shirts. Things become precious to me too quickly. I forced myself to walk away. I returned to London Heritage before getting the train home. Hello again. We exchange a greeting of familiarity that proves me wrong. Community can grow even in the largest, most transient of places. I take three pounds out of my purse to pay for a London bus magnet, but Smear refuses my money. The notebook and pen and my style of harebrained stream of consciousness note-taking makes me wonder if he thinks I'm a mystery shopper. A bit like walking into an Armani shop in an Armani suit. Or that scene in Pretty Woman where Julia Roberts stops looking like a prostitute and has Richard Gere's credit card. I put my notebook away feeling dirty. I want to buy it. I genuinely now want to buy it. It's become precious. Samir refuses my money, puts it in a bag for me and smiles. Looking down at my new magnet, 
I'm reminded where we are in London, England. Write me a good review, he says, as I head off to get my train. I will, I say for some unknown reason. People are always and never at home. Intangible history. Splitting hairs. Just making it up. <laughs>